Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. In every episode, we bring you insights into the teams behind the teams in professional football. Coming up on today's episode. In my opinion, if you look at Sean at Burnley and Sean at Everton, he's already evolved. The data tells us that, you know, the naked eye tells us that. And in my opinion, we're heading in the right direction. Of course, there's more evolution to come. There always is. Um, but I think he's done a really, really good job in very, very difficult circumstances. And then to also help to build a team that's not only got this mentality that we've got at the moment, touch wood, he says, holding on to his rosary beads, yeah. hoping that continues. But then also to help build out the team in terms of a philosophy. Now, it's, uh, it's not easy to do. I'm Simon Austin from Training Ground Guru, and our guest on this month's episode is Kevin Thelwell. Kevin is the director of football at Everton and has put in place a long-term strategy in testing times. He's massively experienced, having previously been head of sport at New York Red Bulls and sporting director at Wolves. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please give us a follow via your podcast provider. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast, Kevin. Thanks very much for having me. Great to be here. And we're here a couple of days after another impressive performance and result. Um, so it seems like the team are in a decent place at the moment on the pitch. Yeah, we, we've been really pleased. Um, I think we're unbeaten. We have, we've won five out of seven. Um, and obviously the draw against Brighton, who were a terrific opposition. So yeah, we're, we feels like we're going in the right direction. We're not, we're not saying that we're changing the story or the narrative just yet. But certainly we're in much better space than what we have been. And sporting director is concerned with the longer term at a club, but I guess results make everyone's job easier. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you're getting results, you know, in the first teams, let's call them, um, on a set on any given Saturday, then it just makes everything that much smoother. Um, the role, of course, is about you know the medium long term, but you can't ignore the short term either because... The reality of everybody's circumstance who works in professional sports is that everybody has to get results fundamentally. So um, I'm pleased to say that we've we, we won more than we lost and we've, we're picking up some good results at the moment and long may that continue. How would you describe your role to someone who doesn't know what a sporting director does? Well, probably the easiest way to do it is just to probably describe how, how it works at Everton, which is you've got Sean, who's the, the manager. He was responsible for preparation of the team, performance of the team and fundamentally results. And then you've got me as the director of football that's responsible for all of the support operations that sit around Sean and for me to make sure they're as strong as they possibly can be to give Sean and the team the very best chance to succeed and Brian and his team and the academy and so on. Um, so that's generally how I describe it. It's, you know, it's a responsibility for strategic function you know, across all of the parts of the, parts of the football plan. And you've been in place now since February 2022. What do you think appealed about you to the club's board? Why did they come to you? Yeah, it's a difficult question for me to answer that. <laughs> it's probably one to, to ask them, but um, I'd obviously worked in the Premier League before, which is I think is um, something that they were looking for. Um, I had knowledge of the people who were in those positions at that time. So Denise Barrett-Baxendale, Grant Ingalls, Graeme Sharp, uh, chairman. Um, and so they, they knew me and they knew of my work before. Um, and obviously after that time, I'd spent two and a bit years over in New York. So 
I would like to think, I would hope to think I'm a, I'm a good fit for the football club in terms of what the, the things that they see are important. But it's probably a question that's difficult for me to answer and probably a bit easier for them. And you succeeded a sporting director in Marcel Brands. Uh, seems to me that the, the KPIs now for you and for the club are quite different than they were with Marcel. Do you, is that fair to say? Again, it's probably difficult for me to comment on where what the what the KPIs were for Marcel because because quite honestly, I, I don't know that that was part of his his remit. I, what I do know, he's a very very good sporting director. Um, the remit for me um, is very much been about doing lots of different things. Really, number one, putting in place a strategic plan that helps us to achieve the division in the medium long term, build on the successes or the previous successes of the academy, try and find ways in getting young players into the first team to support the first team. And then you know, a host of other different things, but then also some very short-term bits as well. You know, in my 18 months, we've been going through a very difficult period and supporting the manager to help us to stay in the league is, has been a big part of the role for sure. Because I remember actually I heard Farhad Mashiri and he was saying um, kind of one of the first targets was to get into Europe at that point. I think this was 2019. And I remember as well over the 10 windows, I th- think around that period, you were sixth highest for net spend in Europe. I think it was ahead of Bayern Munich and teams like that. Um, so obviously it's quite a different climate now um, when you look at the business you've done in the summer, for example. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's any secret that you know we've got some financial situations that we need to resolve and are resolving. I think certainly my 18 months has been very much focused on that as well as other things, but you know, understanding PSR and finding solutions to some of our PSR issue has been... Um, you know, a part of the process that I've been involved in. Yeah. What What is PSR? Sorry, just to cut in. Oh, profit and sustainability. It's, it's the new. It's the new financial fair oh, play. Profit, profit right. and sustainability. Yeah. So, yeah. So making sure we stay on the right side of the right side of the rules in that regard. And obviously, we spent a lot of money in previous times. And the reality is, you can't continue to spend and and not you know, deliver transfer fees or you know, build a better financial structure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So a big part has to be. Certainly, my time has been and has to be going forwards around that financial piece, almost bringing us back into some sort of financial balance, and then also creating some sort of financial, financially sustainable plan going forwards. You talked about the strategy that you set up since you've come in. Has that been the climate then throughout that period that um, you're now looking at things like reducing the wage bill, um, Nets being positive in terms of net spend, uh, things like that. Well, I think what we're trying to do on the financial side is is just apply some financial common sense. Really, you know, I'm not um, the greatest mathematician in the world, and I'm, I'm not that I'm not brilliant at that side of things. But but the reality is, you can't spend more than you earn. So bringing us back into some sort of financial balance and, and applying that common sense, as, as I said earlier, is a is a big part of the job. But, but that's the same for sporting directors the world over, in my opinion. And then the second bit then is okay. Well, if that's what the the objective is, or that's what the if there's a need to be able to do that sort of thing, how do you then also create a team that's going to be competitive in what is the most competitive league in the world? So they're two big rocks within my remit, I suppose: financial balance, and then also making sure that we stay in the league and then start to build something that people can believe in um, out on the pitch. And as I said, Mashiri had talked about aiming for Europe as a first step. What are your ambitions on the pitch? How high can you finish up the league, do you think, in this season and next season? I think everybody at Everton wants to get Everton back where we all believe it belongs. And the vision has to be for a big club like Everton. It has to be, how do we get back amongst the elite? 
How do we start competing for trophies? How do we start to get back into Europe? And of course, we've got this world-class stadium on the horizon. So we want to build a team that's going to be befitting to that, don't we? So there's there's that to contend with right at this very moment in time. And that, that has to be the vision because we work at a very big football club where enough is never enough. You know, if we finish 15th this year, you know, we need to finish 12th the year after and so on and so on. Everybody wants more. That That's not an issue for me. I think it's a privilege to work for a big, big club like Everton. So it's not so much about saying, okay, we need to finish here one year or there the next. It's more about saying, okay, how do we find solutions to these short-term, medium-term problems that we've got? And then, come on, how do we get back to where we really want we to be, where people expect us to be, which is in that space that I talked about. Because I suppose that was the strange thing before. Normally, you would have a correlation between spending and then moving up the league, but it actually was the opposite, wasn't it? Spending was going up and the position was going down season on season generally as a trend. Yeah, and and again, if you look back over the course of time, Mr. Mishiri has tried very hard to build something that's going to be very successful. Now, for whatever reason, that hasn't worked out. But the reality is now, when, when we look back over the course of time, you know, there's been lots of change at Everton Football Club. And we all know that, you know, having a very clear identity is probably also a very strong marker for success. You could see that, you know, in this year's Premier League or Premier League season's gone by. And so, um, and so constantly having lots of change at Everton has, has caused its own difficulties. And I think where we're trying to get to is we're trying to get into a, a period of stability, a period where we can start to redress the balance in terms of the financial aspects. But whilst doing that, recognising that it's still all about what happens out on, on the grass on a week-to-week basis and building teams that, that still have the ability to compete despite this difficult backdrop. How do you go about putting together a strategy like the one you have? Like, what's the starting point for it? And who's involved? Well, who's involved? Let's start with that bit. So, in my opinion, it'd be very easy for the chief exec or the director of football or the owner to say, this is the vision, this is the direction we're going in, this is what I want to see, etc., etc. Um, the problem with that, of course, is that if you're not able to take the workforce with you, then most of the time it's a, it's a plan that's built on sand. And so the reality is, I think once you understand exactly what direction of travel looks like, having a very clear vision, it then really is much better to then turn to the workforce and say, okay, you're the you've got you're providing the expertise, you're the specialists in these areas. How do we achieve the vision? And then you start to build the plan out from there, really. So so the reality is everybody should be a part of it. And that's what we've tried to do at Everton. We're in the process of trying to build a very strong strategic plan that helps us to achieve that vision in the medium long term. And we're currently working with all of the people at Finch, all of the people at the Royal Ivy Berlin's to be part of that plan, to help us to hopefully get somewhere, but more importantly, stay there, you know, and have a very strong plan that stands the test of time, really. Did you actually start off with working groups involving the staff? Yeah, so the the place in which we started was the the football club decided on a very clear vision. Can we get back amongst the elite? How do we get back amongst the elite? And then literally we sat down with all of the heads of the department. We then sat down with all of their departments to then start talking about this performance problem. Okay, if we're going to get to that level again, what are the things that we do well? What are the things that we don't do so well? And what are the big rocks? What are the things that are are most important to us to really help us to start to build something that we all believe in? Mm. And so that's the process that we've been through, really. And they're still going through. You know, this is, um, again, we haven't at this moment put a dedicated timeline on it because we're still working through a process and we're still 
cleaning up and tidying out, tidying up the way in which we achieve this this vision. But it generally is first and foremost about the people, all the people of our football club playing a part and helping us to build something. And is style of play and game model a key part of that identity and that strategy? Yeah, so, so very much we've got we've got four strategic pillars. So I don't mind sharing these with you. We've got uh, who we are. And every football club culture and identity is really important to people. And so it should be. And we don't want to get too far away from our way and Everton way. Um, how we play, I think, is a big part. And again, I've already mentioned there's loads of different examples in the Premier League and all over the world of people having very clear ways of playing and, and the benefits that they get from that. Um, how we support. So what do we do in terms of our operational uh, method? You know, stuff like performance analysis, stuff like coaching, you know, uh, medical services, sports science. Can we create a really strong golden thread that runs through all our departments? You know, like a best in class type philosophy. And then staff development, you know, I'm a big believer that you're only as good as the sum of your parts. And if you've got staff that you're continuing to develop and continue to help to improve and they can provide better quality service, better expertise around the building, then you're only going to be better for it. So we're sort of focusing on those four things, really. Mm-hmm. And have you kind of heavily um, learned from Red Bull, where you were you were previously at New York Red Bull, as you say? Um, is that something that they're very, very strong on, that identity and how they play, and that then informs everything else? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, they couldn't, they couldn't be clearer in terms of how they want to play. And... Certainly from a recruitment perspective, we got in a spot there with, with, with New York Red Bull and as well across other teams where we were saying, yeah, this guy's a really good player, but he's not a Red Bull player. So he could play for maybe a different team, but he just he just won't be successful with us because they were really clear about playing identity, playing philosophy, what they wanted from each player in their position and how they wanted the teams to play effectively. And that gave us a really clear bandwidth about how we could then search for players. Um, I think if you haven't got that, if you haven't got that clear identity, it's very difficult to put a methodology together because you're not sure about exactly what you're looking for sometimes. The clearer you are, the better you are, the easier it is. And I wondered if we could just go through those in a little bit more detail. So first of all, the who we are, how would you sum that up? Well, again, it's, it's about culture and it's about identity. So, I mean, Everton's got an incredible history and an incredible tradition. And it's clear that it, it values a lot, a lot of things and, and it wants its people and its players to behave in a particular way. So it's about us making sure that everybody understands that because the reality is if you work for Everton, they're going to want to see those things in the way in which you operate. And so I think it's a, it's a big part of what we do really. So that starts with the players, you know, and Sean... We appointed less than a year ago. He's very, very clear about what he wanted when he first came in. One of his one of his great sayings is, you know, I want to see. We need to get some sweat on the shirt. For me, that's an embodiment of some of those core values. You know, honesty, hard work, respect, humility, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it's a nod to working class values, really, which is what we are from an Everton perspective. Um, how we play? Well, again, it's about very clear football philosophy, very clear game model. It's about saying. What do we expect our teams to do when they've got the ball, when they haven't got the ball, when they're transitioning to one or the other? You know, where we really want to get to is we want to get to a spot where people are able to go to any pitch and regardless of colour on the shirt, they're able to pick out the Everton team. You know, and, and for there to be some synergy between what happens at different age groups and, of course, 
there's loads of different benefits that can come from that, you know, um, in terms of helping young players to progress through the pipeline. Uh, how we support, how do we create the very best support service that helps our teams to succeed effectively. So, and again, across all of these, we're talking about a very clear plan, which is, okay, well, what does great look like? Where are we against that standard? So, you know, we're actively talking to staff members about not only looking at Everton, but looking at other football clubs, looking at other businesses, other organisations, other sports, and saying, come on, what's the standard? Where are we against that standard? And come on, let's start to think about building a plan that helps us to achieve this standard of great. And then, of course, making sure that we don't lose sight of who we are. So applying this Everton context and this Everton filter, because it'd be dead easy to say, yeah, I can build great, but you know, it's going to cost you a million quid. And the reality is we haven't got a million quid. So, um, so it's about people being innovative and finding different ways to support that process. And then the staff development piece, just creating lots of different ways for lots of different individuals to get better. Yeah, simple as that, really. And that might be opportunities to do some research and development stuff. It might be opportunities to present in front of people. It might be working groups that help them to work through a particular performance problem. Just as simple examples of how we're trying to work with people to get to get that better level of understanding around around what's needed. And in terms of the who we are, it's not like you've had to learn about that totally when you've come in the building because you've got Everton in your DNA, haven't you, to a certain extent? Yeah, and no, I suppose you could say that, yeah. Um, my mum and dad are from Liverpool originally. My dad's been an Evertonian since he was born, really. As, you know, as most are, he's a true blue. So I've sort of grown up with all of those stories of what Everton is and what Everton should be and can be. Um, from my dad, you know, he's been at all of the big games over the course of time. And my first ever game was actually at Goodison. It was um, Mick Lyons' testimonial uh, back in the early 80s. And, you know, I'd, I'd never forget how Goodison felt at that time. So, yeah, obviously being from the local area, you pay attention to all of these big clubs and, and what's important to them. Mm. That's been helpful. And I guess that great history that Everton has and the, the great support, the great stadium... Can be a positive and an anchor, in a way. I'm thinking. Um, so if things aren't going well, you know, you can get the pressure from the stadium. You have got the pressure of the past. Um, would, would you say that's been true in the last few seasons? Yeah, well, I definitely think it's pressure, um, but I don't see that as a, a burden personally. I see that as a privilege, because with that pressure, you know, you're working at a big club, and with that work, with that mentality, you've got opportunity. And so from my perspective, you know, to be able to work for a club like Everton and be able to achieve all the things that we think we can achieve going forwards, if we just navigate our way through these tricky waters at the moment, you know, with a new stadium on the horizon, you know, I, I regard myself as very, very lucky and I hope that people see it in the same way, you know, to play for Everton, to work for Everton is, is an honour, for sure. Uh, and in terms of the how we play, the second pillar, um, how would you sum that up? Well, in a very simple summary, I'd say, what do Evertonians want from their teams? Um, on any given weekend, I think they want to see um, this dogs of war piece. They want to see honesty, hard work, people playing for the football club, playing for the colours and giving absolutely everything and leaving it all out on the pitch. But they also want to see this school of science bit, you know, this bit that they had in the 60s and 70s. They want to see good football. They want to see pass forwards, run forwards. They want to see attack. They want to see teams build things in a particular way, you know, the game in a particular way. 
so for me, it's if you if you're inside this space, this Dogs of War School of Science piece, then I think you know it's understanding if you can find a way of playing the game that sort of epitomizes those two things, then you've got a chance. And, and if, I know I'm using that as a really simple context, aren't I? But um, for us, we should be building on those two pillars. People should see that in all of our teams. Mm. Is that still a work in progress at the moment then, would you say? Because I'm thinking of the game on Saturday where we saw a lot of that, Dogs of War, I would say, but I, I think the possession was 80-20 to Brighton. So, um, yeah, is that something to still build on there? It's always going to be something to build on, I think. We're always going to be evolving this. And this is not something that's going to be built in a day. It's going to take us some time because we want this to, to stretch across all of our teams. Um what do I think about the weekend's game? I think Sean is finding a way to find results playing in lots of different ways. Um, and anybody who knows when you play against Brighton, Brighton, they are a fantastic football team and you pressure them at your peril, really, in my opinion. Um, we found that last season when we played them at Goodison. You know, they absolutely beat us up because we came out of our position and out of our slot and they're so good at moving the ball, etc. Um, so Sean is using a different tactic to help us to gain a result. And I thought we played very, very well at the weekend. And it's a shame we couldn't have just seen it through at the end. But um, a fantastic effort from the boys after a very tough week, you know, six, three games in six days. So, And when you brought Sean in in January, uh, was it partly with that game model in mind? Was he someone that you thought could deliver that style of play that you're after? Yeah, I think so. And number one, it was about our circumstance. So we wanted to stay in the Premier League. And had to identify somebody who had experience of that, who could do that. But then also, it's not just about one thing, is it? You're looking for somebody to come in and help you to build something. In reality, Sean becomes our football expert because he's the guy who's got the one of the main teams who's leading from the front. And, and so from our perspective, it was about saying, OK, well, yeah, we need somebody who's going to help us right now. And Sean was perfect for that. But then also, has Sean got the ability to help us in the future, medium, long term? And, and in my uh, opinion, I think he has for sure, because he epitomises a lot of these working class values that the Evertonians hold so dear, we hold so dear. And then also, I think he's got the ability to evolve his game and evolve his philosophy to help us to really get somewhere. So and, and, and as we sit here today, I think he's done a, he's done a really good job. We had Sean on the podcast last year, and that was something that he was really at pains to emphasise. The the fact that he can evolve and he can play different styles depending on the circumstances because mm. uh, he feels that he has been typecast a little bit uh, in terms of style of play because of his time at Burnley. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very lucky that we get access to a lot of data and we get access to, a lot of, access to a lot of information around the Premier League. And if I just apply that process that I talked earlier about, you know, what does great look like? You know, we've done a lot of research around well, what does great look like in the Premier League? What are teams doing? to make them so successful. And in my opinion, if you look at Sean at Burnley and Sean at Everton, he's already evolved. The data tells us that, you know, the naked eye tells us that. And in my opinion, we're heading in the right direction. Now, of course, there's more evolution to come. There always is. Um, but I think he's done a really, really good job in very, very difficult circumstances. And then to also help to build a team that's not only got this mentality that we've got at the moment, touch wood, he says, holding onto his rosary beads, hoping that continues. But then also to help build out the team in terms of a philosophy. Now, it's, uh, it's not easy to do. So, so we've been really pleased so far. 
Our podcast sponsor, Huddle, can help change the way you see the game. More than 35,000 football teams across the world use their pro suite tools to combine video and data into powerful insights and winning strategies via one connected platform. Huddle also offers consultancy services for high-performance sport with world-class experience and expertise in data management, player recruitment, and head coach search. For more information, go to huddle.com forward slash TGG podcast. And when you talk about the data showing you that he's evolved, is that that in things like chances created? Yeah, everybody points to XG, don't they, as, yeah, the, yeah. as the, the, the big old marker. But it's, I think it's XG difference that's probably the most important one, which is, you know, talks about goals that he's scoring, goals that he, goals that he should have scored or goals that he should concede and vice versa. Um, and we don't believe that we've got as many points as probably what we deserve this season. You know, again, we've got, we've got 11 points at the moment. But if we if we look to our earlier games and we look at some of that data, then um, we think we maybe could have got um, a lot more. And and reviewing that data, analysing that data, I think is an important part of the process now because in the director of football role, it'd be very easy to become very emotional and just make decisions on the results. But actually, when you look at those underlying statistics and you look at the way in which the games have actually played out, then it just helps you to make a more informed decision, a more balanced, rounded decision. We're starting to see the benefits of the way in which Sean's set up the team. Mm. Uh, and talking about that style of play, does that run throughout the club? Would that be throughout the academy as well and the, the youth teams? Yeah, we're trying to do that. And again, we're, we're right at the very start of the journey rather than in the middle or the end. But where we want to get to, you know, uh, to quote Dan Ashworth, you know, when he worked at the FA, where we want to get to is you know, the only thing that changes should be the size of the shirt. And so I think the clearer we are in terms of how we want the game to be played, the clearer the players are about that. The, the easier it should make it for those players to move through the age groups and through this pipeline. And and then a big part of my job then is making sure to keep the gate open at the far end so that once they we feel like they're ready or they're capable, we give them opportunities to step through that to step through that door. And is the academy a key part of the strategy and the plan? Yeah, definitely. And it should be a key part and a key uh, strategy for, for every football club in my opinion. Um I'm a big believer because I came through this route, you know this, I'm a, I've started as an academy manager. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in giving young people, young players opportunities. And I think you're stronger for it. If they understand the DNA of the football club, if they're part of the fabric, I'm not saying it means more to them, but it means a lot. And so, especially if you do give them that opportunity. And so creating this pathway for young players to be able to move towards the first team and then get opportunities to play in the first team is a big part of any plan certainly a big part of ours uh, do you think the balance was a little bit awry in the past uh, because I'm thinking the club was very successful at under 18 and under 21 level so uh, you won PL2 2017 2019 but that wasn't being translated into first team minutes for homegrown players so I think this season you're on 1.3% for club trained players, according to CIES. Uh, and it has been low in previous seasons as well, d despite that success at, at under 21 level. Yeah, again, it's difficult for me to comment on what happened before. All I can say to you is what we decided to do from the moment I walked through the door, really, which was to um, make the teams at Everton younger. I think we lo looked at a lot of research to say, well, look, if, 
if players aren't playing senior football by a particular age, then it's going to be very difficult for them to make the next step. Um, so we started to look at uh, the age of the teams and we started to, to look at individuals. It started to, to, to determine what we believe to be the correct pathway for those young players to be able to become the very best version of them, really. Mm. And they all want to play senior football and we want them all to play for our first team. So it was about saying, let's be very clear about a process for individuals. And um, one of the first things I did was appoint James Vaughan, who was the sporting director at Tranmere, to the, to the role of loans pathway manager. He's done a brilliant job. Um, we started to create these pathways for young players to get more opportunities. Um, and whilst we haven't seen all of the benefits of that in the Everton first team, um, and that's very difficult to do nowadays to get young players into a, a first team, especially under difficult circumstances, we have seen a lot of benefit from it from a, from an experiential perspective. I think something like 25,000 more minutes played by young players out on loan from from Everton Football Club, and then also from a financial perspective, we've also seen some benefit. You know, not really what we want to do. We don't really want to be selling young players, but if there's an opportunity to sell at the right price, then it's it's daft not to do so. We do our academy productivity rankings every season. I think in the last ones you were fifth, so uh, behind I think it's Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, Tottenham. That, that's pretty good. So you're obviously getting a lot of minutes, even if it isn't in the Everton first team. Yeah, and Everton's always been a fantastic club at developing young talent and giving young players opportunities. And long may that continue, in my opinion. Um, it should be a big part of what we're trying to do. Mm. I remember actually in that PL2 team, I think it was quite an old team that won uh, in 2019. So I think the club had the reputation of holding on to young players. Mm. Uh, so has that been a change that you want to get them out playing senior football, whether it's on loan or even moving out? Yeah, I think... Um... As good as PL2 is, you know, there's a big, I think everybody feels that there's a big gap between um, that particular experience and the experience of senior level. Um, and then also, there's a, you'll know it better than me, there's a whole load of data out there and a whole load of research that says, if you're not playing senior football by a particular age, then it's going to diminish your opportunity probably to be able to make it, or for you to be able to achieve, you know, your potential. And so it's about us paying attention to the data it's about us looking at um, the experience that players are currently getting and then starting to sit with experienced people and say, OK, what's the best plan to get the very best outcome from for, for this young player? And then we start to make a plan for, for what we do. And that could be that could be stay in the building and continue to play PL2. It could be progress to the first team, start training regularly there. It could be out on loan, you know, come back check and challenge, are they ready, are they not ready, go back out again. There's lots of different ways of doing it, isn't there? But in our opinion, it's about saying, okay, well, come on, what does the data tell us? And then let's look at the individual and apply that filter and, and make sure we, we try and make the very best decisions um, for all of these individuals. Jared Branthwaite would be a good example of that working well in terms of his loan at PSV. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um so he actually had a difficult start to um, that season out on loan. He, did, he didn't play a huge amount in the first part of the season. And so we had long and hard discussions around what we were to do next with him. And that included conversations with Marcel. Of course, we all know Marcel well from his time at Everton. And so we slightly um, altered the way in which the contract looked, the loan contract, to make sure there was almost a guarantee of him getting more playing time. Marcel was very, very clear at that time that he was going to get more playing time. And so we all took a little bit of a leap of faith um, to, to hold him to his word, really. 
and and as it was, it worked out brilliantly. You know, he got a lot of playing time in that second part of the year, got a lot of experience in not only the Eredivisie but also in European competition. And I think we're reaping the benefits of that now. We always, in our minds, we always had him coming back to us and playing in the first team. Um, but of course, you then need a manager who's going to give somebody the opportunity, a young player the opportunity. And, and in our case, under difficult circumstances, and Sean did give Jared that opportunity. And, and I'm glad to say it's working out really, really well for everybody. Uh, and we had Pep Linders from Liverpool on the pod at the start of the season. And he was saying that often the scouting department can be in competition with the academy. Um, so in terms of signing players who block pathways, uh, is that a key part of your role to ensure that doesn't happen and you're taking that overall view? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the reality of that is just counterproductive, isn't it? You know, so we need to try and create relationships and trust and synergy between all of the departments. You know, in reality, we want everybody working together for the same end, don't we? And if you can create that sort of culture, then I think you've got an opportunity. Um, so it's about trying to get, rather than working in isolation, a recruitment department sitting here or a scouting, a, a different department sitting over there, it's about trying to create this collaboration between these departments that help us get exactly the right outcome. And it's not a competition between one department and another. It's everybody working together to try and build something, whatever that something is. So that's what we're trying to work on. Um, I regard myself as being very lucky at Everton because we've got a lot of very good people and a lot of like-minded people. You've got low ego and I often see it the same way. And so that makes life a lot easier for me in particular. Because <laughs> I suppose it would have been easy to block Jared's pathway, wouldn't it? Didn't you have the option to bring Connor Cody back, for example, who might have blocked his path? Yeah, so, so if, if we go back in time, Yerry Mina hadn't played a lot and, and actually finished the season really strongly was a big part in helping us to stay up. We could have easily added another, added another year, offered him a new contract, added another year there. Connor Cody had come in the building, and anybody who knows Connor, he's just a fantastic professional. Um, so it would have been very, very easy for us to add Connor on a permanent, at a very low price, in my opinion. Um, but decided not to do either of those things on the back of holding the door open for, for Jared. Um, now, that can sometimes work the other way, can swing against you. But I think when you've got a lot of people around the table all coming up with the same answer and all believing it's the right answer, um, we made the decision to do that. And, and like I say, I'm delighted that Sean, um, who was part of that decision-making process, then was able to give him the opportunity, allow him to grow, and now we're all reaping the benefits of that. And in terms of recruitment, is that a team effort between yourself and Sean? Or would you lead on it? How, how does that process work? Yeah, very, very much a team effort. All, I mean, my belief is it's not me sat at the top of a, you know, on a big chair, you know, as the rainmaker. It's a much flatter structure than that. Work very closely with Sean and with the coaching team and then also with other heads of department to help make good decisions. Why wouldn't you? Because you've got good people. And so it's very much a collaboration. And so right at the very start of any of this process, you're talking to the head coach about how, we th how he's going to play. You're talking to him about what he wants from individuals within the team per position. How does he want them to play? And then, of course, it's on to search then. And then it's a weekly process whereby we're sitting down with Sean and the coaching team, identifying where we think we've got some areas for improvement or development, and then starting to talk about players that might fit part of the plan. How would you rate your summer window looking back on it? Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, difficult to rate. It was a very yeah. difficult window because, again, I'm not speaking out of turn here. You know, to be our reality is we didn't have a lot of money spent. In fact, the only money we spent was was on a loan fee. Um, I always felt last year, especially with Jared coming back into the building, we had a good defensive um, foundation to build off. Um, very good goalkeeper in the net, which helps. Um, strong in the midfield area, but where we were lacking was in the goals and assist space. And so, really, the mo for the for for the for this window was about adding players in that space. You know, um, more support for Dominic. Um, in Beto and in Chimiti, that you could say a player for today and a player for tomorrow. Or, although he, he's, Yusuf is very, very capable of of supporting today, as he's shown, and then also some more um, some more quality in the wide areas. And, and Jack Harrison on a free loan from Leeds was was, in our opinion, a very good take. And and Arnie from Villarreal also a very good loan take. So yeah, we were generally happy. Um, with the players that we recruited and the work that we did, albeit it could always be a better Simon, you know, you, you're always more, once more all of the time, doesn't it? So it's never going to be a perfect window, but under our circumstances, I feel like we did as well as we could, isn't And I was looking at some other stats actually related to the uh, transfer activity over the last few seasons. So I think, yeah, net spend uh, 50 million positive over three seasons. Uh, agent fees last season, the lowest for nine seasons. Uh I think the wage bill was down as well, wasn't it? So uh, I guess they're different KPIs and reflects your change reality at the club. Yeah, very much a change reality. So um, again, well documented that we've, we've been in a difficult space, certainly in the 18 months that I've been here. And we've been having to find solutions to some of those financial problems. And ultimately that generally comes down to the, what you do with the current group that you've got. So you're trying to generate transfer fees to be able to resolve some of those financial issues and then you're trying to apply, I won't say common sense because that's that's a bit unfair, but certainly you're trying to reduce your level of spend and probably the first place that you have to look is where you spend the most money and that's transfer fees, salaries of players and agents fees. And so it was right to say, okay, come, come on, let's have a look at the structure of what we're doing here and start to bring us into a space whereby perhaps it's a bit more manageable for our current circumstances. And we've already talked quite a bit about data um, and that's huge within the Red Bull group where you worked before. Has that been a big focus for you in bolstering that department? Yeah, I, I regard myself as being really lucky to to have gone to New York and had that experience, especially with the Red Bull group. Uh, and you're dead right that they're, they're very strong in Red Bull around data, but also in the States. You know, they've got more of a, well, certainly they've got a strong um, you know, data perspective, let's call it. So to have two and a quarter years working very closely with data and see that how that could not only impact New York, but see how that was having an impact across the group was a, was a really good experience. And then coming to Everton, again, I think I grab myself as really lucky because we've got a, a separate insights department, which is set up to support the whole football club, the whole of the football operation around data. And so for me, it was very much when I first joined about moving them from the outside of our space, let's call it, right into very centre to help us to start to make and help us to make um, more informed decisions and then maybe having, helping us to have a different perspective on performance problems. And is it Charlie Reeves who heads up that department? Is that a permanent appointment? No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so Charlie is our is our head of insights. And yeah. so, um, again, a very, very capable individual. Um, we work very closely with him, as do all departments, as does Sean. 
you know, we'll have regular reviews and sit downs around what the data is telling us, how it can help us. Um, and then, as I say, you know, really where we want to get to and where we are getting to with Charlie and his team is to say, if we have a performance problem, let's not go on good instinct, let's not go on feel, let's have a more broader conversation around it. And it's generally to go to the insights team first to communicate to them what we think the performance problem is and help them help them to help us to make more 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 informed decisions or better better decisions. Yeah, I did an interview with him about five years ago when he was at Forest Green. Uh, and I think they're in League Two at the time, but people had said to me, this guy is doing more advanced work than quite a few clubs in the Premier League. Uh, so it's been interesting to follow his path since then. Yeah, I need to be careful here because you're coming in for a pay rise the way you're <laughs> chatting about him. So... <laughs> But um, yeah, no, we're very lucky to have him, and he's he's done a he's done a great job. And like I say, everybody sees the benefit of that because so many people are knocking on his door, you know. And so that that's often a good marker for things going in the right direction. Mm. Is Sean data savvy and interested in data as a manager? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, and so again, a, a good example would be Charlie. After every six to eight games, he'll sit down with me, he'll sit down with Sean and the coaching team, and we'll almost have a six to eight week review, really. Almost like, a, well, what does the data tell us? And and in my opinion, that really helped us in the early part of the season because we weren't picking up results. But actually, when you looked at the underlying numbers, when you looked at the detail, we're actually we're actually outperforming teams, but not picking up the points. And so, you know, during that time, it can be a difficult space for the manager, can't it? Because you're not quite getting the results, and so it's it's almost like, do I do I stick or do I twist? Really, and I would hope those conversations, those meetings would have helped Sean to say, and certainly me to say, no, come on, we're going in the right direction here. Let's just keep on believing in the plan that you've set out and and we'll get the benefits of it in due course. And as we sit here at the moment, we've, we've been much better in that space. We are getting what we deserve, which is great. Some people are a bit sceptical about XG, aren't they? But it is a very good guide as to like long-term patterns, really. It's probably as good as you can get, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, so I mean, again, through talking to the insights team, they'll they'll tell you XG difference is probably the, the strongest marker at success at the moment, you know, and and where you are against that that number generally determines you know where you're going to finish up, you know, in a very in a, within a general bandwidth, and so yeah, I, I think you've got to be very careful that you you know don't tie yourself up in knots with data because there's so much of it, um, but also I think you'd be daft if you didn't pay attention to some of that in underlying detail because it can help you if, if used in the right way and in the right hands. And you've talked about the challenges the club's had in the last few seasons. Um, so there are stories, you know, about a potential 12-point deduction because of breach of FFP. Uh, ownership is still up in the air at the moment. Um, does that make your job difficult as a sporting director to plan long-term when there are those uncertainties? Yeah, I, don't, I can't say that it makes it easier, for sure. <laughs> um but I think the reality is, you know, 50 years of age now, so I've got to that point where you've maybe got enough experience to, you know, as Stu Webber would say, you know, just almost start to not pay attention to a lot of that noise and just actually focus on the job in hand and make sure you focus on taking small steps forwards. And so I think a big part of my job is is trying to do exactly that, really. You're never going to get one of these jobs whereby everything's rosy in the garden, it's all sailing in the right direction because... You know, nobody's going to appoint you. There's no need to. You're always going to get one of these jobs, certainly at this level, in my opinion, where you've got some problems to solve and there are some difficulties. And a big part of the job is helping to navigate those difficulties 
A, in this, the decisions that you make, but also in the way in which you behave around those decisions and around that noise, et cetera, et cetera. Because whether you like it or not, people are going to look to you. And if you're behaving in a crazy way, you know, they're going to find that difficult to cope with. So it's about you know trying to just stay in the now and focus at the job in hand. Do you have to plan for different scenarios? Yeah. Again, that's a massive part of the job. You know, and everything sort of begins with a start with the end in mind type scenario. Okay, what's the very worst that can happen? What's the very worst that can happen? And then let's work back from that point. Um, and so what happens then, for me, I would say, is that when you find yourself in one of those difficult spots where you have to make a decision, if you've already lived it in your mind, it makes it a little bit easier for you to avoid some of that emotional noise, some of that pressure sometimes. Whereas if if that's something that comes and surprises you, then you're going to feel that pressure of time. You're going to feel that pressure of the decision maybe a bit more. Um, so it's about trying to focus on right now, of course, that's important. But then also you know, looking into the future, looking into the medium and long term to try and understand what might be coming down the line and then understanding what sort of things you might want to do or need to do to be able to make a good decision at that time. Um, and it might be quite difficult for fans to gauge where the club is really at the moment because of that. Um, but would you say that there is a kind of upward trajectory overall and positive signs? Um, yeah, definitely there's positive signs at the moment. I don't want to speak too soon because we are playing in the most unforgiving league in the world. And so... We think we're in good space now, but you could easily go six games without winning because the league's so tough and, you know, there's so much going on, you know, in those 95, 96 minutes. Um, so I don't think we're quite changing the story just yet. But I think we're hopeful that over the course of the season, we can help to do that. And certainly, Sean's helped to bring a, a much stronger culture, a really clear identity of the things that we need to do to, to help to be able to win games home and away. Um, and that feels like it's starting to have an impact on the players and we're starting to see that out on the pitch. And so let's hope that we can uh, we can keep going in that direction. Fantastic. Thank you for your time, Kevin. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website and on Twitter at ground underscore guru.